This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour here on Food FM with me, David Kermode. This week, Elwyn Gladstone. He has politics in his blood as a great-great-grandson of Queen Victoria's Prime Minister, But he's made a name for himself in the drinks world instead, founding brands like Malfi Gin, Hotel Starlino and now Gladstone Axe, a Scotch whisky brand. We'll find out what drives him and how to set about being a successful drinks entrepreneur. Plus, as always, a selection of medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Today we meet an entrepreneur who's had a hand in the creation of some of the most successful drinks on the market, thanks to a restless approach that's rooted in innovation. Elwyn Gladstone is actually steeped in political history, the great-great-grandson of the Victorian-era Prime Minister William Gladstone. He has chosen the drinks world rather than the political arena for his career. He's had a hand in the creation of Hendrix Gin early in his career. Then he created Malfi Gin, uh, selling it to the uh, mighty Perno Ricard. And more recently, he's been at it again with the Hotel Starlino, refreshing the vermouth category. And now, most recently, his latest baby. It's a whiskey, uh, Gladstone Axe, uh, the family name going on the bottle. Um, I'm delighted to say that Elwyn joins us now from New York. Uh, welcome to the drinking hour, Elwyn. Very nice to uh, meet you. I'm actually in New Jersey, uh, near oh. New York. Oh, I don't want to get that wrong. Yeah, if you get that wrong, if you get New New York and New Jersey mugged up, you get into terrible trouble over there, don't you? Yeah. Not with Welcome. me, you won't get <laughs> Welcome from New Jersey. And um, let's kick off first. Um, I'm a bit of a, a political anorak, really. So it's, it's um, although this is very much a drinks programme, we've got to do a bit of, bit of this stuff first, I think. Um, the family name, Gladstone, one of the most celebrated in, in British um, politics. And uh, he was British Prime Minister for four terms, I think. And he served under Queen Victoria. And he's your... Uh, great-great-grandfather. Tell us a little bit more, for those who aren't so familiar, tell us a bit more about uh, the great Gladstone. Yeah, so Mr. Gladstone was, as you said, he was the Prime Minister four times. He was also the Chancellor of the Exchequer a number of times. He was a true liberal in the the sense of, of the word. He started off as conservative and changed to liberal, as you pointed out. 
He was very much a uh, free thinker. He modernized uh, the House of Commons and, and politics in general, I think. And he, and he changed it from being purely sort of landed aristocrats to being more about, you know, people that were elected and, and made it much more a, a democratic process. Uh, he was obviously very heavily involved in the Irish Home Rule Bill. And he did a lot of interesting things uh, with, you know, taxation, changing taxation, one of which uh, uh, was the Spirits Act of 1860 when he was the Chancellor. And, and since this is a drinks program, I'll try and steer it towards that. He, he, he changed the rules for Scotch whiskey to allow for blending of Scotch whiskey from different distilleries around Scotland for the first time ever. So blending of Scotch was allowed. And the Scots were very canny and very good at packaging and very good at exporting things and took advantage of this. And really the Victorian era was when Scotch whiskey industry boomed uh, and became a kind of global phenomenon. Obviously, you know, the British Empire spanned an enormous amount of the world and they took with them Scotch whiskey to all corners of the world. And so I think, you know, one of the reasons you see Scotch in so many places when you travel around the world is because is because of that reason. So he, he was very important in kind of modernizing Scotch whiskey. And that's why we came up with this idea for creating a brand around his name. Interesting. So he was actually born in Liverpool. Uh, the family seat uh, is now in North Wales. Um, but he very much regarded himself as a Scotsman, didn't he? Yes, absolutely. So his grandfather, Thomas, had a small whiskey business in, in Leith, in Edinburgh. Uh, he left the town of Bigger, uh, where the Gladstone fam family is originally from, and went to Edinburgh and set up a business selling corn and whiskey. And his son, John Gladstone, then had a number of kids, one of which was William Gladstone. Right. Uh, but and they were very much Scots in, in their both their heritage and in their thinking. And hence the name of your business, Bigger and Leith, therefore. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. We, we thought it would be fun, particularly, uh, you know, a bit of a bit of uh, kind of heritage and, and just a fun name to kind of bring it back to those two those two nice towns in, in Scotland. And before we talk about uh, what you're up to now, um, politics evidently sort of runs through your veins. Um, it's certainly, well, I mean, look at the name for a start. Um, have you ever considered politics yourself? No, I haven't. I, I, I've, I've always been really interested in it and I have, I'm related to Gladstone, obviously. And then my other, my, my other, my other side of my family, my grandfather, uh, was called Elwyn Jones. That's where I got my first name from. He was the attorney general under Harold Wilson and he was the Lord Chancellor as well. So I've got lots of politics in my in my in my blood but I've never considered it as a career so you opted to be an entrepreneur rather than a politician how did that pan out ah so uh, I, I went to Edinburgh University and I worked in Oddbins, which some people may remember was a really mm. interesting wine shop I did it as you know just to earn some money to pay for being a student and I got really interested in, in wine and uh, they did a lot of single malt. So a lot of, you know, I got very fascinated by that. And it was in Scotland. So 
obviously that connection with actually being able to see these distilleries, you know, in real life was really interesting. Uh, and then I went to study at University of California, Davis, I did a winemaking degree and learned all about how you grow grapevines and farming and viticulture and enology, making wine and got again, even more, you know, really, really interested in the whole thing. And then I kind of, I came back to the UK and started working for Bulmers, the cider company, which was at that time, it was a family owned business and still had lots of, you know, interesting bits about it. And then I went to work for William Grant and Sons, a Scotch whiskey company, and got really interested in the idea of creating these brands from scratch. And worked on a brand called Hendrix Gin and a brand called Sailor Jerry and Rake of Vodka, so all different brands, and was just fascinated by the way that you create an idea, you create packaging, uh you then create you know liquids and you get involved with the distillery and then you actually see the product uh for sale on a bar or or on a shelf and i just found that really really fascinating that you that you could do that uh, and that was actually a job that that existed as a job and kind of i took that and ran with it and have worked all my career on kind of creating these new brands of of spirits working a lot on trying to do interesting packaging really interesting stories about them and uh, i've really enjoyed it mm. it does sound like a really um fascinating thing to do um but uh, to, to people like me it's it's also it's a bewilderingly kind of difficult and and, and, and complex um let, let's go through um a, a few of those brands because when i was doing my homework um i can yeah. honestly say i had no idea that hendrix gin was created i was it 1999 i think it was created right. Nine, yeah 1999 um, yeah i assumed it had been around um forever that's and i guess <laughs> that is one of the secrets of of creating a a brand um like hendrix i guess to give that impression that this is a, a you know a, a wonderful old-fashioned heritage brand to an extent yeah exactly i mean i think so people don't really understand where products on the supermarket shelf or on the back bar come from. They just assume they're just there and they've kind of always been there. So that makes it fun because, you know, you, you just have to come up with, a, you know, really nice looking product and something that is interesting and tells a story. And it's possible to kind of Get, get the consumer something they really enjoy and, and, and they like. And, and that's part of the enjoyment of creating these things. Mm. But yes, mo most of the brands you see on, on shelves and in supermarkets are not really that old, you know, but, but, but I think that's what's fun about it. And, and you never really know what's, you know, what's going to be next and where something's going to come from next. Well, what was next for you was uh, Malfi gin again a, a really successful product uh, as i mentioned in the introduction it was uh, sold uh, to uh, uh, the mighty uh, perno ricard but tell me a bit about uh, creating that particular brand malfi yeah so malfi I, I left i worked for a company called jose cuervo 
and we created a few brands there. One was called Crack and Rum. That, that's quite famous now. That's quite big. And I left there at 2015. And I thought, you know what? I just, I don't want to work for other people. I don't want to do more PowerPoints. I don't want to, 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 to have to work in a, in a big organization. I just want to do my own thing and see if I can do it. And these brands are worth a lot of money. They take a lot of money to build them, but I, I think it's something that, you know, you can, you can build something out of nothing. And that's always fascinated me. Can you build something out of nothing? And can you do something better than a big company can do it? Um, so I left the company, Jose Cuervo in 2015, and I started my own business on my own in the basement of my house. I thought my, uh, you know, I thought gin is really interesting. It's a really interesting category. We've had that experience with with Hendrix Gin. I had a a, a, a very nice um, uh, mentor who's now my business partner called Mark Teasdale, who who taught me a lot of stuff. And uh, I thought Italian Italian products are loved all over the world. People love Italy. They love Italian products. And they love the lifestyle or their, what they perceive as the lifestyle in, in Italy. And one of the most famous places in Italy, all around the world, if you go to Japan or, or ask Japanese tourists or Russian tourists or uh, British tourists, you know, name somewhere in, in Italy that's beautiful and amazing. And uh, Amalfi Coast comes up. Mm. Uh, what is Amalfi famous for? It's famous for its lemons. So we came up with this idea of a gin infused with Amalfi Coast lemons. And this idea that, you know, a great moment for a gin and tonic would be sitting, looking over the sea uh, with a gin and tonic with a slice of lemon in it on the Amalfi Coast. And from that kind of point, we uh, found a distillery to help us make the product. Uh, we found Amalfi lemons. Uh, we created a beautiful package which had lemon rings or has lemon rings kind of screen printed on it. Beautiful turquoise blue label that looks like an old kind of hotel uh, hotel sticker or a hotel logo. A really amazing liquid which we made with our friends at Torino Distillati, uh, which is just outside of, of, of Turin. And then started selling the product around around mainly in the US to begin with and then around the world three years later we sold it into about 80 countries and it had become quite big and Perna Ricard decided to buy it so it was a it was a success and, and great fun doing it you make it sound uh, quite simple uh, and I'm sure I'm sure it isn't. By the way, it I'm, I'm very well. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm very certain it isn't simple. But you make it sound the things you talked about there in in terms of your thought process with the development of Malfi, they yeah. they sound they sound almost obvious, and yet um, you did it. No one else did. Uh, so where do you start with something? Are these things quite um, sort of fundamental, quite basic in a way? Uh, yeah, I think. Look, I think I think packaging is really, really, really important in developing new brands of spirits on the shelf in a supermarket or in a, in a wine store. There are thousands and thousands of labels. It's like looking at a library shelf. You have to be able to tell the story that you are trying to co communicate on your packaging. You have to make it look authentic so it doesn't. You know, you know, it's not a, an Eiffel Tower shaped bottle or something, you know, it has to be authentic looking like it's been around for a while. 
uh, it has to be incredibly appealing because spirits bottles in particular, if, if, if you think about it, sit around in a house for a long time. So they're almost like a coffee table book or like a piece of furniture or a vase or whatever. So it has to look the part, it has to look nice. And I think people, you know, it's quite a sophisticated uh, thing, a bottle of spirits. So people like kind of showing off with them. So you have to, you have to give them that, that ability. Uh, it has to taste delicious and much better than, you know, the everyday thing, right? So there's no point in making something that tastes like Gordon's gin because people will just go and buy Gordon's gin. It has to be very, very different. And, you know, to that end, uh, the, the metric or the rule, the filter I always put in is if you take this product into a store to the person who's going to, you know, to the storekeeper, can can you genuinely tell them you do not have anything else that is like this? Because uh, unless you can do that, there's really not not a lot of point in doing it. If you you know if your only thing is to compete on being cheaper, I, I think that's very hard as a as a small business. Obviously, if you're a big business, you can try that. That that, that can that can work. But as a small entrepreneur, it, you have to be completely differentiated. And you know, unique is an overused word, but as close to unique as you can be. Mm, yes, uh, uh, unique is is quite often misused, isn't it, as well? <laughs> but um, I get your point, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Um, do you have to do an enormous amount of, of market research or do you kind of um, trust your instincts and hunches uh, more? Yeah, we do no market research. We pride ourselves on doing no market research. I think market research can be great if you're a very, very big company and you're very worried about changing something a little tiny bit uh, and you want to be absolutely sure no one's going to, to mind. But I think that for the stuff we do, if you show people something, a, a, a genuinely new, different idea, market research, people that attend market research groups will simply tell you uh, they haven't seen it before and they're not very comfortable with it. Or they might say, oh, I really like it. It's cool. But it doesn't really tell you anything interesting or tell you whether it's going to work or not. We believe more in, you know, using our gut feel, trying to create something that's genuinely different and putting it out there. One thing we do that a lot of people don't do is uh, a lot of the traditional way of marketing spirits is you try them in one place, you focus all your attention in one place, let's say London or Brighton or I don't know, Scotland, see if you see if they work there and then spread out from there to the next place. So from Scotland, you might go to England, then you might go to Wales. We totally don't believe in that. We believe try them in lots and lots of places and see where they work, learn why they work in those places and build on it from there. So that's a bit different than a kind of traditional way of, of, of seeding things, as it were. Yeah, and a, a refreshing answer to the question about market research. I, I think there's a story about the creation of Baileys, isn't there? I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but they took it to market research and everyone yeah. uh, said, oh, no, absolutely not. It's, it's horrible. And it's now one of the world's most successful drinks. Yeah, exactly. And the person, you know, what's he called? David, I can't remember his last name. He, 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 he's a big proponent of don't do lots of market research, go with your gut and think these things through. So, you know, I think, I, you know, he, he definitely, he definitely is onto something uh, yeah. with that. I have no idea if that, if that story is true, but it's a good, it's a good tale. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. And, and uh, you touched uh, about, uh, in your answer, when you were talking about the, the various 
um, facets of a new product. Um, you mm. talked about deliciousness, basically, yeah. uh, the quality of the product, which which um, it you know, seems obvious. But of course, um, it could get a bit lost in all the branding and, and everything else. So how do you go about uh, because your products are delicious? I've I've tasted my way th- my way through them and they, they really are. Um, so yeah. how do you go about um, guaranteeing the, the quality, if you like? Yeah. So we work with uh, really good uh, small distilleries. And within those distilleries, there are great product development people. We spend a lot of time on trying uh, variations, variants, uh, different infusions, different barrel aging techniques. Because I think, again, you know, you really, there's some categories where it's harder, much harder to differentiate. So, so Scotch whiskey is pretty hard to come up with something that, (laughs) that tastes radically different, right? Most Scotch whiskey tastes within, you know, 10 or 15%, you know, like other Scotch whiskey. So you have much less to play with. There's there's bits you can play with, but much less. Things like gin, you have, a, you know, you can add all different botanicals and you can make things taste totally different. Um, you can make one taste very, very lemony. You can make one taste very, very much like grapefruit. You can make one taste like you've just chewed on a, on a juniper bush. So, you know, again, it, it varies by category what you can do in terms of variations. And I'm a big believer in, in flavored products. They're not the kind of purists, special thing. But I think within spirits, if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting your own business, flavored spirits are, are a really interesting route to go down to because you can make something that is different than, than, than anything else on the market. So the name Gladstone now adorns uh, two uh, new whiskies, uh, the Gladstone Axe. Um, uh, just explain, before we talk about those products, uh, I'm curious about the Axe. Ah, uh, yeah. So uh, Mr. Gladstone's hobby that he used to do as exercise and for meditation was tree tree felling. So cutting down old dead trees or, uh, you know, uh, cutting up branches off of trees that were, that were, that were dying. And he had a large uh, collection of axes uh, in, his, in, his, in his office in the house in, in Harden. His office was called the Temple of Peace. He had a large collection of axes and he used to get given axes a lot by, by people. He would chop down trees and people people would come and collect the wood chips. He was obviously very famous at the time. People would come and collect the wood chips and use them as little uh, lapel, um, you know, little badges um, to, to, to signify that they were followers of, of Mr. Gladstone. And, you know, he used it as a way to relax and to, you know, get, get exercise. Right. And that Relaxing. is where we came up with the idea <laughs> of the Gladstone Axe as, as a name for, for a Scotch whiskey in his honour. Well, it's a great name because it's memorable, too. Um, and it gives you um, something for the, the logo to, to play with, too. Uh, relaxing yeah. with an axe uh, sounds like an <laughs> unusual uh, way of relaxing. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll park that and talk about uh, these two uh, whiskies. then. Tell us, um, there are two different iterations, currently at least, um, the American Oak uh, version and the, uh, the Black Axe. Um, tell yeah. us uh, a bit about uh, why you've gone for these two different iterations. Sure. So, so I mean, I think within within Scotch, uh, so they're they're blended malts. So they're blends of single malt whiskies, 
so it's a it's a Scotch whiskey classification called blended malt, and we take fourteen different single malt uh, from different distilleries and blend them to make two very different styles of whiskey. The first one is American oak, which is aged in in, in bourbon barrels as Scotch is, um, and it's it's all made with you know the barrels are made made of American oak. It's very smooth, fruity, easy to drink. Delicious every day, you know. In my opinion, blended malt is superior to just a traditional blended whiskey. Very smooth, and we made a you know a beautiful package for it. it has a wax dip seal and all that kind of thing. A lovely label, uh, and to me that you know that is a great a great expression of of malt of malt Scotch whiskey. Uh, it has all the flavor characteristics that I think people like when they say they like malt whiskey. The other one we made was called Black Axe. Uh, I love smoky whiskey. Um, I don't love it overly smoky or overly iodine-y. So we made a product with a bit of, of, of it was, it's a blend of, of, again, a blend of single malts. It has a bit of uh, Isla, Isla whiskey in it, which gives it the sort of smoky characteristic. It's not over the top smoky, but in my opinion, it, you know, just enough to Get the get the idea and to make a really delicious drink that you could drink every day. Um, you know some of those Isley whiskies. I don't know if you, you people either love them or hate them. Things like Laphroaig and Lagavulin. They're lovely, but they are you know they're 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 a workout as it were. So this is very much you know around the idea of of a little bit of character of, of smoke and, and iodine without being overbearing. I don't profess to be uh, a whiskey expert at all, although I, I, I like uh, drinking it, but I, I uh, tend to, to know more about, you know, wine and, and, and grape-based uh, spirits. But I, I obviously tried both of these, and uh, there, is a, uh, there is a unifying touch um, uh, sort of between the two, um, yeah. which is a kind of um, accessibility I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah. is that really what you were striving for here with these two products? Absolutely. Yeah. So really trying to make something that is very enjoyable, uh, straightforward, but delicious. Top of its class. Uh, and again, as you say, very, very easy to drink, mixable. So you can mix it with things, which I think is important for Scotch whiskey in order to kind of expand its usage. You know, just really, really good drinking whiskey. I was going to ask you about uh, mixing because uh, sometimes you, you'll encounter uh, those, especially with whiskey, who who are a bit sniffy about the fact that people might mix uh, these uh, uh, products with anything other than a bit of water, maybe. Um, yeah. You're completely cool about that, are you? Absolutely. I mean, I can see if, you know, someone bought a, you know, $200 bottle of, of Macallan or whatever and, and, and you added Coca-Cola to it, I could see that... <laughs> That could be Being heretical, could be, yeah. Could be, uh, well, yeah, but I mean, on the other hand, if that's how you enjoy it, I mean, that's how you enjoy it. So, I, I you know, drinking is about enjoyment and about good conversation and about, you know, uh, loosening your mind. Um, and so I, I'm a big believer in, in, in drink it how you like. And I think things like ginger ale and, you know, particularly some of the new, I don't know, there's great products like Fever Tree, uh, have lovely, you know, lovely, lovely mixers. I think enjoying enjoying Scotch with with mixers is a great way to enhance it and um, and make it a much more pleasurable experience. 
it, sometimes it's great just with a bit of water and some ice, but I, I also, I'm a big believer in, in mixing things up and, 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 and it being about the enjoyment of, of the drink, not, not just about the kind of the, the legend of the drink. And blending is clearly, certainly in whiskey terms, uh, something that really drives you by the sounds of it as well. Yeah, I think uh, you know. I think the some you know some of the some of the some of the parts can be can be better than the 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 individual part. And I, I you know in our business, I, I've never really wanted to start a my own distillery. It's just it's 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 just not something that that appeals to me particularly. I love that other people do it, um, and so. I, I thought the idea of finding different, you know, different different malts from around the place and making a blend to be a, a really interesting idea. Um, and I think, you know, drinks are blended a great deal more than people realize. You know, wine is wine is all blended from, you know, different cuvées and all that kind of thing. So so I think it's a, it's a big part of how drinks are made. I think blend in Scotch whiskey is is has a sort of unfortunate um it's associated with less expensive products as you know they've done a great job of marketing single malts and the prices of single malts have gone up and up and up and up but i think you know when you actually taste blended malts and even blended whiskey i, I think they can give you as much pleasure if not more um than a lot of, than a lot of single malts so i'm i'm a big believer in, in that idea yeah and a blending is is seriously difficult isn't it i mean it it is a it's a real uh, skill a real uh, art. Do you get involved much in the the, the minute detail of um, of these uh, blending decisions? And and are you kind of when you create a product, are you kind of fiddling uh, with every single sort of um, minute percentage of the product, if you like? So I mean, we I work with 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 the with with the blenders and with the with the different chemists and 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 those people. But I mean, as you say, it is an incredible skill which you learn over 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 decades, and it is amazing what they can do and how they know just by adding you know a couple of drops of 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 one thing which will completely change the taste profile, and very often in a kind of opposite way to what you would think. Um, if that makes sense. So uh, I do, I am involved in developing the products and in, you know, doing lots and lots of tasting. Um, but the, the real chemistry and, and the, and the, and the minute details, uh, are, are with, are with these people. And beyond the deliciousness and, um, uh, so I've, I've tasted both. Um, thank you very much for that. They're delicious. Um, uh, what, what, are you, what were you striving for in the other things you mentioned earlier that, that sort of complete the package? So um, the look, the feel, all that kind of thing. Yeah. So we did a, um, we did a, a lovely bottle that has, you, you got the bottle, of course, because you've tasted it. Yes. So we did a, a, lo a lovely bottle that has his monogram on the base, uh, W.E.G., uh, it has the years he was prime minister on the shoulder. Um, and then we did a nice uh, emboss on the glass bottle of him with an axe next to a tree, which is actually that, that, that emboss we took from a, a statue of Mr. Gladstone, which is in um, George Square in Glasgow. It's, it's on, on the side of a statue of him. Uh, the glass is, is a nice sort of bluey color. Um, well, the black axe one is a slightly gray color. Uh, it's got a lovely uh, wax dipped um, top. So we dip every bottle in, in, in wax to give it that sort of handmade feel. 
and it's a lovely kind of shape of bottle, a bit, you know, unusual, not your traditional long, tall Scotch whiskey bottle, um, but also not completely dumpy. It's kind of in between. Uh, yes. So, you know, really nice, nice profile. We took lots of details from 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 old bottles we found um, and tried to create a, a sort of unique shape. Yeah, or well, different. It's, it, it's a lovely look. It, it, I love the embossed glass and, and yeah, the waxy top has that sort yeah. of artisanal um, feel yeah. to it um, that, that, that you also get, obviously, with the. Uh, with wine so uh, congratulations on the look because they, they look they look really good and they they, they taste great too so um, let's Thank talk you. about some of your other things uh that you yeah. uh you know, you're i was going to say uh sort of dabbling in vermouth i mean it's more than dabbling because you you've done quite a uh, quite a bit in this uh, category but hotel starlino um is uh, really quite a brand now um tell us um what you were sort of seeking to do there sure so uh, vermouth is obviously a really interesting category. Um, it's 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 got very dusty and old fashioned over time, in the same way that gin was until about ten or fifteen years ago. Um, it's it's wine based, so it's natural product. It's made with with wormwood, which is what vermouth means, vermouth, and it's a great sort of tradition up in northern Italy where we where we ha have great friends at Torino Distillati and where we make quite a few of our products. So we created Hotel Starlino based on these beautiful old turn of the century uh, hotels and kind of the architecture of, of, of Torino and, uh, and, and that area. And we use the label that's based on an old luggage label, uh, a vintage hotel luggage label. Put lots of fun details in it, like the back label is a do not disturb sign. The top is sort of looks like a doorknob. So it did lots of nice, fun packaging details. And then we created a range of liquids. So we, we did a traditional red vermouth, which is aged in uh, bourbon barrels. M most people in the U.S. use vermouth to make Manhattan cocktails. And a Manhattan cocktail is rye whiskey, red vermouth, uh, bitters, and a... Uh, cherry maraschino cherry and so we thought well if it's if they're using rye barrels or if they're using sorry if they're using rye or bourbon why don't we age the vermouth in 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 bourbon to give it a kind of in bourbon barrels to give it a kind of um vanillary spicy flavor so that that's mm. what we did with the red one um then we did a pink product called rosa uh, which is infused with grapefruit peel pink grapefruit peel uh, rosé wine is obviously very popular at the moment um, and then we have an elderflower variant and an orange variant. And, you know, they're 17% alcohol. They're delicious with tonic. They're delicious in a spritz, so you can add some Prosecco to it. And they're also delicious on their own uh, on the rocks. So very, very refreshing. Um, they do very well in the summertime. And, uh, yeah, we're selling them, selling them all over the world, and, and, and they seem to be doing quite nicely. Yeah, it's a great brand. I love the cap actually as well. I don't know why. It's just something very pleasing about the, uh, the 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 white cap. It's a very simple cap. I don't know why I'm so sort of taken with that. But it's just it's just that the whole feel is is very nice and very solid. And um, you also, by the way, uh, certainly for a while, were um, uh, selling uh, maraschino cherries as well. Really yes. delicious cherries. Do you still do that? We do. We sell a lot, a lot of maraschino cherries. Uh, which have two uses. One is in obviously on cakes, 
black forest ghettos and stuff like that but the other is in cocktails things like manhattans or 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 other whiskey cocktails or other any kind of cocktail um we make those in in napoli um they are delicious they are not like sort of your traditional you know neon red uh glow in the dark candy cherry they're they're very rich browny caramelly color um and absolutely delicious and they are what you get served when you buy a, a fancy cocktail in a fancy uh, in a fancy hotel so that's a fun business and um they certainly make cocktails more enjoyable they do they make cheesecakes more enjoyable as well i can i can tell you from uh, from experience um Very good. it's yes. a crowded market um how do you go about getting your uh, products um onto uh, the shelves um, in, in order to get the volume you you need to sell? Yeah. yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, it varies enormously by market to market. But for instance, in the UK, uh, we do a lot of work with, uh, you know, e-commerce, be it Master of Malt, Whiskey Exchange, Amazon or Selling Direct has changed the game for smaller for smaller companies like ours, because you can actually get the product to anyone in the UK very very quickly whereas in you know the old days you'd have to go to wholesalers and they'd have to find independent retailers to stick it on the shelves and it would just take a long time and, and there's less and less independent retailers um so your choice is kind of e-commerce bars and restaurants which is great to work with so we work with wholesalers that get it into bars and restaurants and do lots of sampling and all that kind of thing and then eventually you hope that one day you, you know the brand becomes well known enough that a supermarket comes by and says, I'd love to have you know your product in, in my supermarket. But I think it's important to wait, you know, to wait quite a long, you know, quite a long time till you've really got the brand established before you go to 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 any supermarkets. Otherwise the product tends to just sort of sit there. So a lot of it is sort of building the reputation and building distribution in independent channels and in bars and restaurants and e-commerce trying to get it known um, and then going for big mass distribution. There'll be people listening, I'm sure, who who kind of um, fancy a shot at uh, creating their own drinks brand. Um, uh, what advice would you give uh, to someone who uh, was thinking of doing that? I mean, I think it's a great um, it's a great thing to do as you know, as I go to the UK quite a lot. There are thousands of gin brands, for instance um that people have thought i will have a go at this it's it's really really fun it's really really hard my advice is if you're going to do it um you know spend the time and the money on making the the packaging and the product and the story really really interesting and different and super high quality and keep on you know come up with some filters for yourself uh as to what you think you know why you you know at what point you think it's ready to launch and you know my my filter is i gave you an example was if you can go into a store and tell the storekeeper you haven't got one of these already that's why you should have this you know that's the kind of filter i would use if i was starting my, my own business so try and do something that's truly different and do you have someone who can tell you um if an idea is a bit of a duff you know i'm, I'm sure you don't have bad ideas but you know if you oh, no, did have loads of them. <laughs> if you did we have loads of them. No. do you have someone we who can do... tell you uh, that 
So, I mean, again, one of the, we, we do, we do a lot of different brands and a lot of them don't work. You know, 1% success is, is amazing in, in, you know, in terms of the, in terms of the industry average, 1% or 0.1% is, you know, amazing. One thing that is really helpful now is social media will tell you quite quickly whether your idea is sticky, whether people respond to how it looks. It's not the only way, but it's a really interesting way. You know, Instagram and Facebook, if you put if you put your product out on the Instagram and Facebook, do are people noticing it? Do they talk about it? Do they share it? Do they go out and buy it, etc.? So that makes the time to which you know you have a good idea much, much quicker. Now, it doesn't always tell you everything, and it's very important not to give up if something like social media is not responding to your idea, because lots of great ideas don't work on social media, for example. But it's certainly, it's certainly a, a good way of testing things quickly, as is, as is e-commerce. If you can sell a product just by someone looking at it on a computer screen, that's a pretty good sign you're onto something. Interesting. It's really fascinating talking to you about uh, about all of this, um, and uh, and I'm sure it will be encouraging uh, to others uh, as well. Um, I have to ask you as well. What's um, what do you drink? What's your um, your desert <laughs> island drink? Yeah, I, I mean, I love I love uh, Scotch whiskey with some soda and ice, and I love wine. Uh, I love all different kinds of wine but you know desert island drink would be would be some wine and some whiskey but not together <laughs> uh yes you don't want to mix those i don't think but uh, but it sounds like a very good evening um the, yeah. the wine uh, and then the whiskey maybe um uh, listen it, it, it's really as i say really interesting to to talk to you elwin um and uh um, thank you for being so candid too, um, and congratulations on on the new uh, products. It's uh, I, I shall um, you know watch and uh, wait to see what's next. Are you already working on something else, by the way, or are you just focused on these at the moment? Oh no, we have lots of things. We um, we have a hot sauce that we've made called Ferrelli uh, from Italy, Italian hot sauce. Right. Um, uh, we have Amaro, we have a tequila, we have a color changing tequila. We have all sorts of good things. Yeah, always, always on the, always, always looking for the next thing. Wow, it's like some Willy Wonka's kind of house or something uh, in your uh, your uh, your basement or your laboratory. Uh, no, but, well, I look forward to seeing how they do as well. And uh, good luck with the uh, the new uh, Gladstone Axe. Uh, those two uh, those two whiskies, as I say, I really enjoyed them. And thank you so much. Uh, for uh, talking to us from New Jersey, of course, not New York, on The Drinking Hour. Very good. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Alwyn. Cheers. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Okay, well, let's round off with some recommendations, as always, from our sponsor, the IWSC. Uh, we don't have long to wait for the wine medals for 2022. Judging has been taking place over this last fortnight. Uh, so news of that very soon. But this week, we're selecting from the Spirits winners from 2022, judged back in March and revealed a month or so ago. Let's begin with a familiar name. We heard all about the creation of Malfi Gin, uh, Elwin's baby, which he sold to Perno Ricard, one of the biggest names in the drinks world. Here's a gold medal winner from his erstwhile stable. Uh, Malfi Con Limoni Gin won 
five points. Uh, that's what you need for a gold. The judges, including Olivier Ward of the Gin Foundry, a member of the IWSC's Senior Judging Committee and a world authority on gin, uh, said this, uh, a clean, crisp nose of zingy, zesty lemon peel and pine, a great balance between gin and zestiness, mouth-filling and warming that persists until the end, pine and a touch of tannin on the finish. And here is another gold medal winner in the gin category with the same judging panel featuring, amongst others, uh, Olivier, as I mentioned, also David T. Smith. Uh, this one is Argo Gin from the Never Never Distilling Company in Australia. It uh, won a whopping 97 points. It's made in collaboration with the Argo Bar at the Four Seasons Hotel in Hong Kong, and it sits within Never Never's Dark Series. Here's the judge's tasting note. Light nose of peppercorn and coriander seed, moving to a big gin centre with soft fruit and tannins from the barrel. Sweetness on the finish, backed up by the fruit concentration and texture. A Geneva next, another gold medal winner with 95 points this time. Filia's barrel-aged 17-year-old Geneva. Uh, Geneva is always made from grain uh, like uh, rye, malted barley, corn. It's usually made in the Netherlands or in Belgium uh, like this one. Here's what the judges had to say. Extremely characterful and exuberant, a beautiful and well-rounded style, aromas of spiced raisin bun, toasty oak and vanilla bourbon give way to complex and intermingled flavours of sweet clove, cinnamon, black pepper and toasty wood char. Superb harmonious. It's been a while since uh, we talked about Baiju, the uh, Chinese uh, spirit. Uh, here's a gold medal winner, Jin Hui Liqueur Co, 28 years Baiju. Uh, this won 95 points, a gold medal from the judging panel, which included Anthony Moss MW of the Wines and Spirits Education Trust in London. He was a guest in episode 33, along with Hannah Lanfear, talking Asian spirits, if you'd like to learn more. Um, here's the judging panel's tasting note for this one, an intense nose of green fruit opens, accompanied by nutty notes and cooking spices. The palate is concentrated and earthy with layers of flavour and a creamy texture lifted by a prickle of spice. A deep, brooding and exquisite example. And finally, here's an anise from Mini, uh, which also won a gold medal. This is from the Netherlands, and here's what the judging panel had to say, awarding it 95 points, a gold medal. Uh, fresh cumin gives a savoury aroma blended with black pepper and licorice spice, with a hit of citrus that brings anise on the palate and big, earthy root flavours with a splash of menthol. The finish is pure anise, they say. And this finish is uh, pure showbiz. Uh, that's it for another edition of The Drinking Hour. My thanks to Elwyn Gladstone and also to you for listening. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram or Twitter. I am Mr Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. For now, though, it's goodbye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.